Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Hello. 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 You're listening to a podcast not only of sound, but also of mind. It's Time to Rewind is a podcast that takes a journey into a wondrous land of time loops whose boundaries are that of imagination. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat, and each episode, my guest and I explore these time loops one loop at a time. This stop is Trapped in the Twilight Zone, and this is the third and final stop at 1959's Season 1, Episode 10, Judgment Night. Here with me is my guest, Lackey, from Inner Time. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun um, going through these, uh, these few classic episodes of The Twilight Zone over and over again. Almost like you're trapped within one of these twilight zones where it is your fate to do the same thing over and over. Yes. And this, (laughs) in terms of the scheduling, this is the, the third time that I'm discussing judgment night. And, uh, I've gone through, I've recorded the death ship episodes already. Uh, so, and, uh, one of the shadow play episodes already. So it's uh, it's been interesting rewatching these uh, these three episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, I'm I'm a little disappointed in myself that I haven't given been given myself time to uh, expand and and watch any of the other classic Twilight Zone episodes. But I, I'm pretty sure um, you do have a a, a better history with the the twilight zone um why don't you talk about that for a minute so yeah so um the twilight zone was one of the first things to really kind of scare me um like really kind of scare like the sort of um the story that i that i as i remember it this would have been when i was a a young not like young young but i think i probably would have been like seven or eight um, when I saw a nightmare at 20,000 feet and, uh, nightmare at 20,000 feet was the, uh, if you recall, that's the episode where William Shatner, um, uh, is on a plane and he becomes convinced there's a monster on, on the wing of the plane, sabotaging the flight. And there's this wonderful scene where William Shatner pulls the curtain of the, the 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 plane window aside and sees the monster with its face pressed up against the glass peering back at him and that just scared me to no end i could not i i do not believe i got any sleep that night um i had a a a, a neurosis about sleeping in a room with uncovered windows that lasted into my into my 30s it's only been 
comparatively recent in my life where um, I, I can sleep in a room if, if there's no window treatments, like no blinds, no curtains, or even if the blinds or the curtains are open, I used to have to close them because I was just afraid of that thing. And it's a pretty stupid-looking monster nowadays. Um, The writer of that episode, Richard Matheson, described it as looking like a surly teddy bear. But, um, you know, just the things that kind of get you when you're that age, when you're young and impressionable. For me, it was uh, it was Gremlins, and and it's funny because I, I just watched that uh, those two movies over Halloween. But I I had a similar experience uh, whenever I was about um, you know that that same age, six or seven. Uh, only for me, it was mirrors, and I had a, uh-huh. a a mirror in my bedroom, and I basically just you know stacked clothes up on top of it so I couldn't see it. Right. But yeah, at that impressionable uh, an age, that's when I think the things that kind of really that that's a great, I think, age to be traumatized by horror fiction, by horror television and movies. I think that's when you're when you're um, that at that age, you're you're young and impressionable. You're young. You're old enough to kind of be able to 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 kind of poke your eyes around the corner and, and try to put yourself in a more adult world. And, and I think I think for most people, it has one of two results. Either it scares the hell out of them and they enjoy that feeling on a certain level and they continue to seek it out and become lifelong horror fans, or it scares the hell out of them and they don't necessarily like that feeling. And so they completely swear off of horror films for the next, you know, until they're maybe a a teenager or a young adult before they give it a try again. Uh Uh-huh. And um, it was another couple of years, I think, before I really started. I didn't get immediately into... See, at that age, that was like also... We're talking about the... We're talking about the early to mid-80s here, so that was when... Stuff like, you know, Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise were in full swing. And that that stuff didn't interest me. I don't think I really I mean, that's kind of like that. And seeing Poltergeist, there's a scene in Poltergeist that had a very similar effect on me. Um, But I don't think that I really started to look more into horror until um, I really developed a fascination with Alien, probably about age 14 or 15. And that's when um, that's when I, I really started kind of biting into horror as a genre. And, and, you know, that that's, I think, what made me fall in love with it. But ultimately, I think the seed was planted back with with the Twilight Zone. Do you remember, I, I guess, uh, was it just did you just happen to catch it like a, as a, a rerun on TV? Yeah, I think it was. um I don't even remember uh, exactly why I, I wanted. I remember that I wanted to watch The Twilight Zone. It was one of those things that had, a, uh, you, you know, the the, the 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 anthology film, you know, had come out a couple years previous. I didn't know what it was, um, but I heard stuff about it that it was. I don't know. Um, I, I remember. I remember my mom would tell me about the the scene in the film the want to see something really scary scene 
but um, it, it was just one of those things that just it like I said I keep coming back to the word mystique, but that was the that's what I can say about it. It it had a sort of thing to it that just kind of drew me. You know, it's like, oh, this is something I hear my parents talking about or this is something I hear other kids talking about. This is something that I kind of want to experience for myself. And it just happened to be I I think that was the first episode I ever saw. So, you know, start off with a bang. Um, I don't remember I even watched it again until I had a, a fear of it going almost into the 20 into my. 20s and i don't think i really um started to explore the rest of the the, the twilight zone until until well into the the mid 90s when i started looking up other episodes like uh eye of the beholder and uh uh, the the, the monsters are due on maple street the first ones that i watched when i started really kind of experimenting and you know exploring it more Oh, at, at this point, um, have have you seen like all of them uh, now, or have you just you know hit the some of the select like the high points? Um, I I go through kind of phases um where I'll just kind of pick episodes to watch. I have not seen them all. There are so many. Um, yeah. Seasons of television obviously were much longer then, and I think even though it ran for only three seasons, I think there's something like, there's got to be something like uh, almost 100 episodes. Well, there, there's five um, seasons, but I think two of the seasons were short seasons. Oh, five? I thought there were only three. Oh, you know, I must be thinking of Star Trek. Um, yeah, because now that I think about it, yeah, they had shortened seasons and they had the the, the seasons with the hour long episodes. But no, I haven't I haven't seen them all. Uh, you know, if I have broadcast TV, if I have access to broadcast TV, there's a station here in Chicago that that often runs them. And you know, I, I would watch. Um, even a couple years ago, I was catching up on a bunch of ones I'd never seen. Um, like the, I think it was called uh, the 16 millimeter shrine. Um, the one with the, oh, I cannot remember the name of it, but it's the one with the, it's 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 pretty famous in its its twist ending. It's the one where yeah, there's a bus accident and everybody goes to this diner and there's some sort of threats about aliens and it turns out that the guy at the soda counter is an A three eyed alien. Um, spoilers i guess i can't remember the name of that one um i don't remember that one either well i just blew it for you in case (laughs) you ever run across it at random so i apologize for that um finally got to see the invasion which um was one that i had heard a lot of great stuff about and it really was as effective as i'd heard um but it's not something like i don't go i don't go to it all the time i i have a lot of um my my attention span um, is is gets pretty short in my old age, and it, it's trying to watch more than three or four episodes of anything kind of turns into a tedious exercise for me. I know how that is. I'm I have a hard time um, really getting into very many TV shows just because I I can't. Because, I mean, I, I have a newborn in the house now, and so it's hard for me to, to focus on what I'm watching 100%. And it's like, 
you know, I, I don't want to put something on that I need to focus 100% on because I know I'm not going to be able to focus for the entire runtime of it. So I right. end up just putting up, uh, you know, a lot of background noise programs like Reality Trash and, and stuff like that. Stuff that I'm yeah. not, that I don't really care about. So right. if, if I miss 10 minutes of it, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, but uh, I know, um, coming back to th- uh, this episode, Judgment Night, uh, did you did you remember um, or have a history with this episode in in particular, or does or was this uh, mostly a new experience for you? You know, I could have sworn that I had seen this or had some sort of exposure to it in the past because um, this one. I remember there being one set on a ship that was in a time loop, and it was during World War II. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's another one, or maybe I'm confusing it with an episode of something else that's not even necessarily the Twilight Zone. It could be something from the the 80s revival, or uh, for all I know, it could be an Outer Limits episode. I Because I seem to remember there being like a... a comparatively big star in in that one uh, martin landau or martin balsam or something like that when i watched judgment night i kind of knew what the story was i knew that it took you know like i knew it took place during world war ii i knew that it, the um the main character was going to turn out to be you know a u-boat captain um, but I actually remembered very little, if nothing, of what I was seeing. Nothing looked familiar. Nothing was triggering any memories, even though I knew what was going to happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I'm confused, you know, mixing this up with some other episode or if I have seen it in the past. There's also, um, there's also, I think, a movie that has a relatively similar plot. Uh, but I, I know it's not another Twilight Zone episode because I've I've already kind of dug into all the, the Twilight Zone episodes that have some sort of time loop aspect to them. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and there's not definitely not another one set on a ship or set during World War II. And there was actually surprisingly few of them. Uh, there was only know three from the classic series and and they all more or less followed the same format as this one where you know 90 95 percent of the episode was just you know the straight narrative and then the the loop is revealed at the very end just the last minute or two of the episode right it is kind of interesting that they didn't deal with world war ii a whole lot considering I uh, I know I know Rod Serling was a veteran. I I don't remember whether he fought in World War II or Korea, but it would have been that's a show that would have been made by World War II veterans, written and and directed by them. Um, yeah. So I guess I do find that kind of interesting. Yeah, and I did get into a little bit of the, the you know the World War II historical accuracy part in the and uh, with my last guest. And there's there are some interesting things like the with the wolf pack, and and that sort of things that that were relatively accurate. Uh, although the the attack at the end was likely 
not as accurate and um, probably done more for just the the budget where the the attack primarily happened um, above water rather than right below the surface right um, because the thing that kind of surprised me was how much practical effects went into this at least with things being on fire it looked fairly realistic like they actually did set stuff on fire um so i don't i don't know how practical it would have been for them to film i think that this may obviously you know obviously the, the twilight zone was done on a low budget but this one seemed to be it, it seemed to me like they had limited the sets so that they could kind of get the expense of burning them down They've reused a lot of sets, and uh, I, I don't have the the, the research. Um, like I, I didn't copy it down, but I did see that this that the majority of the ship set was pulled from an, a previous MGM movie, and the, so okay. they they reused that. So it just happened a lot on on the Twilight Zone. Sure, sure. Um, but in in general, I've I, I've already discussed this this episode uh, a couple times, so I'm I'm curious to see, you know, what your thoughts are and uh, and kind of you know what what you want to talk about uh, with this episode. It's, um, I find it very interesting. It this is um this was one of the ones that was actually written by Rod Serling. One of the things. Um, that I found is that most of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone weren't actually written by Serling. Um, uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet was written by Richard Matheson, um, the, the great horror author who also he wrote. Uh, I think the main thing that um, mainly I think that most people would uh, associate him with him was either The Shrinking Man or I Am Legend. And, uh, and he also he did also write Death Ship, which is uh, another another episode that I'll be covering next. Okay, um, Charles Beaumont, who went on to create the Waltons, also wrote. I think he wrote. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I believe he wrote um, Eye of the Beholder. I could be wrong about that. Um, I do know that he wrote several episodes of of the show. Um, Rod Serling's episodes, Rod Serling, I don't think, was always as interested in kind of the horror aspect necessarily of the Twilight Zone. I don't think he was as interested in, in being as scary as, say, Matheson was. Um, Serling's episodes are often like moral fables. I think that this one, I think that Judgment Night is a great example of this where um the the purpose of it the story is to to basically has a it has a um it it has a moral core to it It, it's trying to actually you know tell a uh you know a moral story and and most of the ones that he the ones that he tends to write i mean i i do like a lot of the ones that he's he's written um my favorite is one that he wrote, which is The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Oh, I guess I'm wrong. I guess he did write Eye of the Beholder. But one thing that I did notice uh, this time watching it, which I, I think I talked a little bit about in, in an earlier discussion, but I feel like everything that's going on to Carl Lancer 
in this episode is designed to amplify his his uh, punishment, his afterlife punishment. Everything from his selective memory loss. You know, he only remembers certain things. And um, I, I think that that's purposefully designed to, at the beginning, it brings him into the fold to where he becomes interested in the other passengers and um you know the the other passengers talk to him he talks to them they get to know each other and i think that that's him not remembering that he was a u-boat captain at that point in time is done on purpose so that way he is that he um begins to know his eventual victims and then and then the memories start coming back to where he is a u-boat captain and that is designed as the the episode goes on to to other fi him so that he you know he uh is introduced to the other passengers but then he's immediately separated from them sure Sure. There's um something of a trope, I, I guess you could call it, of the the the, the somewhat callous U-boat captain. Uh, a similar kind of character occurs in H.P. Lovecraft's um story, the temp short story, The Temple, which in a way could have been it it, it very well could have been a Twilight Zone itself or a uh, or an episode of Night Gallery. Um. This is definitely there is definitely some sort of moral agency that's imposing this punishment upon Glazer um, to kind of show him, you know, and kind of prove to him what he refuses to see about, you know, the things he refuses to see about the, you know, what he considers the enemy, what he just considers, you know, oh, you know, they don't matter, you know, and and he, he, he has to, you know, he's forced to learn about their lives and to learn about them as people. While not having a, a grasp on who he is as a person, yeah, and, and on top of that, there's also, you know, it introduces this sense of dread to where they're they're in this thick fog. They have lost the convoy, and they know that they're, you know, in they're in waters that have the potential to have German U-boats patrolling them. So there's that threat of the German U-boats. In order to, yeah. to have him in a constant state of fear, and then that just gets amplified as you know more of his memories come back, and you know he gets the the memory of the one fifteen time towards the end, and also you know the the engines they shut down to so that the ship is dead in the water, and that just continues to amplify his fear. And um, and then it it's kind of comes to a climax whenever he finally gets to the point where he sees the U-boats, and he is in a position where, you know, he knows the people that are on this ship now, and he wants to rescue them. But then as he scours the ship, then everybody's gone. Uh huh. Since they're you know 
this is the afterlife there are all spirits and that also you know it, that's just a further level of his punishment you know he is at the point where he's trying to do what he thinks is the right thing at that at that point in time but he's unable to do that because nobody's there he, he's unable to do it and he faces that punishment completely alone yes um that's that's actually i i kind of missed that that's actually a really good uh observation um but it, it's yeah it, it's very much um a very atmospheric episode and very effectively directed even i would say by 1959 standards i mean it does look a little bit claustrophobic now it looks a little bit if not i wouldn't necessarily say cheap but it looks very it has a very you know limited scope in terms of its use of sets which i think gives it a claustrophobic um it gives it a claustrophobic feel um that is i think intensified by the, the use of fog um it just, you know, not only in the thematic sense, but in the visual sense. And I think that it, you get this, this again, this creeping, as you said, this creeping feeling of dread that you know that something is going to to happen. And it's, you know, you know something's going to happen and you know that this this guy is in a position or maybe he was in a position to stop it and he's got to try to stop it. And it's only at the end when you realize that it's, it's, you know, what it, what it is, what it is, you know, what's going on. But it, it, it is, I think a fascinating, I think it's, I don't know if I'd put it at, at, as one of my favorite twilight zones, but it, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating piece of drama of, you know, of short drama. Um, just the, the, um, the themes that it works with and the, the one bit that really kind of stuck with me was the final conversation he's having at the end of the it's I, I guess the end of the the loop for him or the beginning of the loop. I'm not sure, but he's it's basically um, a flashback, the flashback. Yeah, the flashback to when he was the U-boat captain and he's talking to his lieutenant and the lieutenant says, you know, I wonder, you know, we, we shouldn't be doing this. We're not warning them. We're not following, you know, these are, are, are things that we are doing that we should not be doing. You know, are we damned because of this? Are we are not in the eyes of, you know, the mortal authorities, but it, does God see what we're doing? And has God, you know, will God, you know, pass judgment on us? And, you know, that's, you know, the, the you know, Lancer's kind of like, oh, you know kind of treats it kind of like you know yeah whatever you know not he's in a, knowing he's in a very arrogant position you know he thinks that he's doing the right thing at that moment in time and he even sees from the british perspective but he doesn't care you know right he even says yeah from the british point of view we're we're damned but he's like well i don't care that's you know, that's a war trophy for me. It was a, a 5,000 um, ton, 5, tonnage or, or whatever the, the terminology was for that uh, ship. Right. You know, that's a, a feather on my, in my cap right there. That's that's a potential promotion in the whatever I, I, I would assume the Navy, the German Navy or whatever. 
military branch headed that up. Um, it is a pretty weighty piece of drama for something that was you know, done in 1959, and I, I don't think that we really um, – I think we kind of like to invent the idea of prestige drama – that television wasn't – I think a lot of people seem to think that television wasn't serious before The Sopranos went on the air, that you couldn't make serious drama on TV. Um, at least when I grew up, I had this um, – there was this very much this sort of attitude that many people had that, that TV was kind of like the – Like the dumping ground or where movie stars go to die. Ground, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it was kind of like it was it was, you know, television was for the most part stupid and inane and that you couldn't really do, you know, weighty drama with it. And every so often you would get things like, you know, Twin Peaks or, or something like that. But it, it, it just basically seemed and this really kind of proves that there there is kind of like, a you know, uh, you can do something like. With with you know weighty themes of, of of you know what the meaning of of our actions and whether our actions the, the existence of God um, the existence of an afterlife the existence of heaven and hell whether our actions the 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 ultimate karmic this this is this is a karmic punishment for for Glazer you know so the idea of of you know does your do your actions now, you know, do, do they, um, do they have repercussions for your next life? And what are those repercussions going to look like? And are, are you going to be, you know, are, are you going to, are you going, are, are you going to be treated? Are you going to be treated with the same, you know, with, with whatever respect you treated others with, are you going to be seen that way? Um, are you going to be made to sympathize with the people that you have abused, that you have you have killed, that you have maimed? Those sorts of things. And I think this this piece of this is as a work of drama does it very well. And in um, terms of the Twilight Zone as a whole, this is never one of the ones that I I see in terms of like the the more well known episodes. But I do think, at least for me, that this this episode did hold up pretty well to repeat viewings and to really looking at it with a critical eye and, uh, you know, analyzing it at, at, at the level that I've been doing uh, with, with this show. And, and I think it's, it does hold up as a good episode. I, 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 you know, I, I probably agree that I think, in terms of the overall narrative, it it probably isn't one of the the best that like the top tier Twilight Zone episodes, but I do think that it's worth watching, and it it does hold up. It has a lot of narrative value, and the just everything that's going on um, lends itself to looking at it with a critical eye. And 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 an analytical eye, and a lot of this stuff does hold up as as a fascinating episode overall. Uh huh. Um, and I would agree there. I again, it's not, you know, it it it's 
to me, what I will say about this is that it, this is, I think, the Twilight Zone summed up what the Twilight Zone did and what its strengths were, I think, summed up in a good 25 minute package. You know, it, it, it's what I think I think it almost stands as maybe even the epitome of the Rod Serling episode, the sort of thing that he was trying, the sort of story that he was trying to tell. The you know it, it has it, it uses it may use a science fiction or fantastical thing at its core, but it's ultimately a very human drama dealing with human themes. Um, with with what um, the cartoonist Michael uh, Kupperman, hi Sharon, um, <laughs> would have called deep satisfying irony. I'm I just made a call out to my friend Sharon who introduced me to Michael Kupperman's comics. But um but yeah, I think it really it, it may not I, I don't think it really stuck in people's minds the way, you know, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet did, or um Eye of the Beholder or any of the ones that or uh, it's a uh, it's a good day or any of the ones that, you know, I think really kind of stuck in the mind it, it's not one that kind of sticks in the mind like those but it is i think a classic episode in in, in the sense that it, it it features everything that i've come to kind of think of as being the twilight zone i don't want necessarily want to say formula um as if it's a bad thing but what the twilight zone did it's a classic episode in what everything that the it's Twilight Zone statement. did and did well. It's mission statement, yeah. You know, it, its mission statement is an episode like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's Rod Serling trying to say something about the human condition. Yeah. And for the most part, exceeding. Uh, exceeding. Conce- uh, succeeding. <laughs> yeah, there, there were just a, a couple other little details that uh, – or, or, a couple little trivia things that I noticed about the episode that I, I did want to point out that I haven't had a chance to. Um, this is one of the, um, this does have one of the issues that Rod Serling had suffered throughout some of that. I, I believe he called it one of his biggest struggles with the Twilight Zone was that of censorship. Uh, and I was going to say, let me let me guess sponsors yes uh, because yeah. you know, this is a british vessel uh, but uh, the carl lancer he's um offered coffee instead of tea and that was a a studio note because you know the, the sponsor had coffee but they didn't have tea and so that was one of the pushes from the the studio that he wasn't able to have tea um, because it, it was T in the script, and that was one of the changes that, that you know, he referred to as, uh, you know, censorship, basically, that they yeah. made him change that so it wouldn't, you know, offend the censors, I mean, offend the sponsors. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's again, maybe a weird thing to remember that there was a time when a television show could entirely be underwritten by one or two sponsors um and and there's even like like even going back back and looking at things that are beloved it's like um i remember just looking at there's like a a bit of um charlie brown christmas that if 
you know, explicitly endorses Coke products and they cut it out these days when they rerun it. You can find it on YouTube. But yeah, that Rod Serling always had problems with studio interference and, and, and sponsor interference. Another detail that I wanted to point out is uh, something that he, he mentions in the, uh, the closing narration where he talks about the, uh, the ledger of his life is opened and examined, the tally made, and then the reward or the penalty paid. And personally, I think that's very interesting because of uh, that is it's something that's you that's been used quite frequently in the MCU with Black Widow. You know, she often refers to having read in her ledger, and uh-huh. uh, and she's trying to um, even that out by doing good to offset the the read in her ledger. And I I just thought that that terminology was interesting seeing that in in this episode and uh uh-huh. compared to how it's uh, and it's basically you know used in in the same in the same way right the the metaphor of using the the the, the metaphor of using it's it's an old metaphor uh you know this is almost kind of like a financial it, it is a financial metaphor so you know saying you know like the the you know looking at the ledger of your life and seeing you know what you've what you've you know to to quote the Beatles the love you've taken and the love you've given or you know what you what you've paid and what you owe um it it is a it is a uh, it's a bit of an old um it's a bit of an old metaphor but it's one that that I think Sterling really uses evocatively here. Was was there anything else that you wanted to uh, mention about the uh, the episode before we wrap up here? Um, th- just a couple of things that I uh, just minor things about the casting that I noticed that um, uh, just a couple of minor cameos from people who would go on to become fairly famous. Um, the first officer on the SS Queen of Glasgow is played by Patrick McNee from uh, the original Mister C's deed from the. Uh, the Avengers television show in the 60s and uh, Lanzer's lieutenant on the U-Boats played by James Franciscus, who I think has appeared in at least one or two films that have been MST3K'd. Yeah, he did have, uh, I mean, I, I didn't recognize him at all, but he did. He does kind of have that look so that that doesn't surprise me too much. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I'd but... like to thank you for talking with me about this and, um, oh. And I'd, I'd especially like to thank you because, uh, for those who might not know, you actually provided the, the music for the, the first season and this season of, uh, of this show. Um, oh. And it's something that I really love. And um, you, oh. know, you provided the music and, and I layered in the, uh, the clips, the audio oh. clips. I'm glad you enjoy it. And thank you for having me on. So, um, you know, for uh, anybody listening to this, why don't you go ahead and let them know where they can find you online? And uh, I know you're just started your uh, the the podcast, so you can take a, a minute to talk about that. Um, so I, uh, Jason Soto, and I have just started a new podcast. It's called From Inner Time, and we discuss Doctor Who. Um, going in another direction of my interest in 
old television uh, of a genre persuasion. Um, we just recorded our third episode, um, which should be released, I think, in a week or so. Um, it can be found at, I believe the URL is rabbit, uh, rabbitholepodcast.com. Uh, Jason has something of a, a budding podcast empire and has a lot of um, podcasts on a, a number of different subjects. But the one, like I said, the with Doctor Who uh, being the topic of ours, uh, we're, we're kind of comparing and contrasting the original show that ran um, from 63 to 89. And we're uh, contrasting older episodes with episodes from the revival that started in 2005 and is uh, continuing to run to this day. Um, so again, that's rabbitholepodcast.com. And it uh, can also be found, I think it's also available on Spotify and iTunes and other places that you find podcasts. As always, I am Bubba Wheat, and you can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat, and you can find this show it's time to rewind on anchor.fm as well as anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. I also have a Facebook group. It's time to rewind a time loop group where you can join that and uh, discuss episodes as they come out. And you can also discuss other time loop movies and time loop episodes uh, there as well. It's, it's a lot of fun. And so until next time, I'll still be right here trapped in the Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Light for your approval. Another dimension. Light for your shadow. Another dimension. Light for your shadow. Another dimension. Self. Light for your shadow. Another Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. And in the case of Carl Lancer, former Capitan Leutnant, Navy of the Third Reich, this is the penalty. This is the justice meted out. This is Judgment Night in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>